right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. Comedy is often maligned as a lesser form of entertainment when compared with other genres, such as drama. The Office actor Steve Carell once said, I don't think about comedy and drama as separate genres. It's about trying to make it as truthful as you can. And to paraphrase the late Edmund Gwen, who played Santa Claus in 1947's Miracle on 34th Street, dying is easy. Comedy is hard. Stand-up can help us deal with difficult real-world issues by showing them in a more humorous light. Sitcoms often depicted exaggerated but honest scenarios regarding parenting and marriage to show us that we're all going through the same things and just trying to get by. Parody is perfect for lampooning those at the top and knocking them down a peg or two. And when it comes to parody, one man stands above all of them. Weird Al Yankovic. Born in Downey, California in 1959, Alfred Matthew Yankovic was raised by parents who unwaveringly supported him in whatever he did. His father often said, the key to success is doing for a living whatever makes you happy, and the young Yankovic took that to heart. He took his first accordion lesson on the eve of turning seven after a door-to-door salesman stopped by, offering lessons at a nearby music school. As he got older and was stuck at home with little to do, Yankovic taught himself how to play popular hits of the 1970s. But music was only half the equation. Al also had a passion for comedy, specifically parody. He'd been quoted as citing the likes of Alan Sherman and Tom Lehrer as inspirations for him growing up, their influences as clear as day on all of his albums. And where did he hear these artists? His parents certainly didn't introduce him to them. Instead, he listened to the comedic stylings of Dr. Demento, who would play all sorts of comedy albums and songs on his syndicated radio show. In fact, in 1976, Dr. Demento came to Yankovic's school to talk to the students, after which Al handed him a cassette tape of himself playing various parodies and original songs on the accordion. Dr. Demento played it on his program almost immediately. From there, Yankovic started performing at coffee shops and open mic nights, hauling his accordion up to the stage and blowing everyone's minds. I mean, who else would perform the theme from 2001 A Space Odyssey on the accordion for a bunch of college students? Al Yankovic, that's who. His big break, however, came when Dr. Demento played Al's homemade recording of My Bologna, a parody of the Knack's hit song My Sharona. The Knack's lead singer, Doug Figer, was so impressed with it, he reached out to Capitol Records and suggested that they put it out as a single. From there came Another One Rides the Bus, set to Queens, Another One Bites the Dust, Eat It, a parody of Michael Jackson's hit Beat It, and dozens of other clever takes on popular songs of their day. 
But one song did more than make people laugh and smile. It changed the face of television in the 1980s and beyond. It was a send-up of the song Jeopardy by the Greg Kinn Band, titled I Lost on Jeopardy. Released in 1984, the song told the story of how the singer was a contestant on the original iteration of Jeopardy, which ran from 1964 to 1975, and lost to a plumber and an architect, both with a PhD. Before Alex Trebek, Jeopardy! was hosted by Art Fleming with Don Pardo in the announcer's chair. Pardo would go on to be the announcer for Saturday Night Live from 1975 until his death in 2014. Both Fleming and Pardo made appearances in the music video for Yankovic's song, as did Al's parents, Dr. Demento and Greg Kinn, who wrote and sang the original song. I Lost on Jeopardy! became a hit, reaching number 81 on the U.S. Hot 100 charts. But what Weird Al didn't know was that Merv Griffin, the creator of the original Jeopardy! game show, was working on something new. His other program, Wheel of Fortune, had become a smash, and he wanted another half-hour quiz show to round out the one-hour block each evening. He had filmed a test pilot with Alex Trebek as the host in 1983, but reactions fell flat. Griffin, however, decided to move forward despite what the test audiences said. One year later, on June 4th of 1984, Griffin and the rest of the Jeopardy! crew got together to plan out the show. It was the same day that Yankovic's song was released, and Jeopardy!'s head writer made sure that everyone in the room heard it. They initially thought that it was funny and cute, but when they started hearing it more and more on the radio, they got excited. Maybe there really was an audience out there for a new kind of Jeopardy! Griffin even invited Weird Al onto his talk show to perform it later that summer. After the performance, Griffin told Yankovic that the success of I Lost on Jeopardy! was partially responsible for the show making a comeback, and hinted that there might even be a hosting gig in it for him. With tongue firmly planted in cheek, of course. In September of 1984, Jeopardy! made its triumphant return to the airwaves with Alex Trebek, not Weird Al Yankovic, as host. And although Mr. Trebek sadly passed away from pancreatic cancer in 2020, the show he helped define for almost 40 years is still going strong today. As for Weird Al, well, comedy came easy. Winning on Jeopardy, however, was hard. This episode is sponsored by Intuit. Here's a story for you. Once upon a time, a young woman was haunted by the ghosts of bad financial decisions, with credit card debt and an empty savings account looming over her every day. But when she tried to ignore these ghosts, they only grew bigger and scarier. And these ghosts of her bad financial decisions were stopping her from living her best life. So she decided to face them head on and take control of her finances with help from Intuit. Intuit helps you face your financial fears with confidence through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate 
or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Sheriff Uriah S. Gregory knew he was headed for dangerous territory, where he was unwelcome and likely to be met with resistance. Tensions between the northern and southern states had been escalating for some time, and Gregory worried that it would soon boil over into violence. After all, a Missourian had recently crossed the Iowa border and cut down three bee trees rich with honey, and that was practically a declaration of war. The Honey War between Iowa and Missouri officially started in 1839, but it had roots in a simple surveying assignment from 23 years earlier. You see, when the United States bought the territory from France during the Louisiana Purchase in 1803, it was the first major addition to the country. The territory was quickly joined by land wrestled from indigenous tribes through threats and unfair treaties. In the aftermath of the War of 1812, the new country finally had the time to define its boundaries. Something about their army getting badly beaten by the British for trying to steal British territory in Canada didn't sit well with the U.S. government. In 1816, they hired John C. Sullivan to survey the area. Now, Sullivan's task was to find the north-south boundary of the United States. This would help distinguish what was and wasn't indigenous land. Eventually, it would separate southern states from northern states as well. The line was meant to start at the east bank of the Missouri River, and end at the rapids of the Des Moines River. Later, Missourians wanted to extend their northern border just a touch north. This would give state residents access to rich, fertile land full of wild honeybees that had taken up residence in hollow tree trunks called bee trees. Honey was a hot commodity on the frontier as a sweetener, and these bee trees made that land incredibly valuable. But something unusual happened when J.C. Brown was hired to redo the original line. As it turns out, Sullivan hadn't done a very good job of it the first time. The markers Sullivan was supposed to place along the way were nowhere to be found. He said that he had ended at the Des Moines River Rapids when in reality he had stopped at the Mississippi River Rapids. Brown worked hard, but given the original materials, it's no surprise that his line was off. It stretched 9 to 13 miles further north than the Sullivan line. When Iowa split from Wisconsin in 1838 and began campaigning for statehood, The border came into question. Although the federal government intervened, Missouri refused to give up the Brown Line. Many of the residents in the new territory wanted nothing to do with slaveholding Missouri, as they were free staters through and through. Missouri, however, didn't care and began sending state officials to collect taxes. To make matters worse, in the spring of 1839, 
A farmer from Missouri cut down three of the valuable bee trees, infuriating the Iowans. He then sold the honey and wax without paying taxes and then legged it to Missouri, which refused to turn him over to Iowan officials. Between this and the taxes, it was just too much. Iowans in the disputed territory contacted their governor, Robert Lucas, in July of 1839, who issued a proclamation stating that if any Missouri officials crossed the Sullivan Line, they would be arrested. Having drawn the line in the sand, uh, literally, Lucas was quite confident that he wouldn't be ignored. But it seems that he underestimated the indignation of the Missourians, who felt that their dignity and the honor of Missouri still needed to be protected. A month later, Missouri Governor Lilburn Boggs issued a proclamation of his own. He said that Missouri should continue to exert control over the land. Tension finally came to a head in October of that year, when Sheriff Gregory entered the territory for the second time to collect taxes on behalf of Missouri. He was quickly surrounded by 1,200 angry residents, as well as Iowa Sheriff Henry Hefleman, who promptly arrested him. Things quickly spiraled out of control from there. By December, both Missouri and Iowa had assembled their militias, about a thousand men armed with old flintlocks and farming equipment. Fueled by whiskey and rage, they marched to the disputed territory, proudly flying a flag that read, Death to Pukes, Pukes being the nickname for anyone from Missouri. Now, it could have ended very badly, but fortunately, no one was adequately prepared for winter, and although plenty of the men had massed at the border, calmer heads would prevail. Delegations from both sides met and traded messages, and most people didn't want an actual fight, except the governors, who weren't even there. In the end, the militia from Missouri was sent home, annoyed at the whole ridiculous ordeal. To show their displeasure, they strung up two chunks of venison that they had shot earlier and dubbed one Governor Boggs and the other Governor Lucas. According to the words of one delighted militiaman, we fired a few rounds at them until we considered them dead, dead. The effigies were then buried with full military honors before the Missouri men returned to their camp. Sheriff Gregory was finally released, but the charges against him wouldn't be dropped for a few more years. The governors backed down, and the U.S. Supreme Court decided that the boundary would be set along the original 1816 line, which would be resurveyed and corrected. It ran about halfway through the disputed territory. It was the perfect compromise, in that nobody got exactly what they wanted, and everyone was left unhappy. And to top it all off, the loss of all those bee trees probably stung. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.